Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Welcome to the show. This is Jimmy and I'm Paradox. Hello. Hello, Josh. I really enjoyed this morning. What was that Saturday Night Live where they did the NPR with Alec Baldwin? Sweaty No. No. See? Oh, really? that was the Christmas You're special. You're going to have to cut that out. Beep it. Don't cut it out. Beep it. Because everyone knows what skit we're talking about. Just beep it after sweaty and then beep. So everybody will still know what I'm talking about. Because we can't do that. Even though everyone knows what we're talking about. But didn't they? No, they didn't talk in the soft. Yes. That they was didn't. their thing. Because it was like NPR and a cooking something. Well, no. Or... The Alec Baldwin sweaty episode. Oh, that was NPR? Uh, it was just their Christmas one. Yes. Well, it was, they were like, the skit was like they had, they had an NPR show on cooking or whatever. Got you. Anywho, <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, everybody. And we are knee deep in our three-part series. Speaking of sweaty. Yes. We are on <laughs> part D of uh, our three-part series, Brain, Heart, World, the three-part documentary put out by Fight the New Drug on the impact of pornography. And we talked last week, and when we asked you, you guys to go to brainheartworld.org and watch the movies. and We know everybody has. Follow along with us. And so last week we talked about the first video, which was how porn changes the brain. Doesn't impact the brain. It changes uh, the brain. And so we asked you guys to get them, look, and then we were t today we are going to talk about part two of this series, how pornography changes relationships, changes our ability to have relationships, and all but torpedoes the ability to have intimate relationships. And this is hopefully the one that connects with all of us the most. Yes. When I talk to, let's say, teenagers and they're viewing porn, they see it as a victimless crime. Correct. I do it in my bedroom at night. No one's there. No one's getting hurt. And then when they get their first little bitty high school girlfriend, they go, oh, this actually is kind of cheating on her. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some implications there that aren't necessarily true because they're not married. It is still very much true. Mm-hmm. And so I, how... Pornography impacts, impacts our relationships is hopefully when this issue, this epidemic, impacts us the most. And I love the way they start this episode. And again, they, they communicate this topic. You wouldn't think that this topic could be done in a quasi-entertaining fashion in a way even humorous at times. And that's probably why I relate to it so so much and how much I appreciate what they're doing, because not only are they covering 
good, relevant content, they're doing it in a way that people will actually listen yep. to it, especially younger people, young adults will listen to it. And so they begin this whole... But even 60-year-old simpletons really connect with it, is what you're no. saying? No. Well... It's the 18-year-old and the 60-year-old simpleton. Yes. Okay. I was glad I'm not 60. <laughs> So they begin by talking about Harvard conducting the longest longitudinal study ever on happiness. They, they, it began in 1937. They took over 700 teenagers, and they begin tr began tracking them, first with just questionnaires, and then as technology increased, because they followed these people for 70 years, for 70 years. It's impressive. I wonder if it was the same researcher. And my grandpa, started, yeah, yeah, it was multi-generations of researchers that would take up the baton with this thing. And so when it was all said and done, after those seven, oh, by the way, and those, those 700 teenagers, some were mechanics and some were teachers and some were doctors. One of them, do you remember who it was? Albert Einstein. JFK was one of the oh, yeah. 700. Yeah, sorry. Uh, John F. I thought you randomly knew that, but that was actually in the video. Yeah, and of course... I was going to make some very lame JFK assassination joke about Yells how his happiness index really, bleep that really out. took a dive in 63. <laughs> bleep that out. But I'm not, I'm not going to do it. So anyway, so at the end of the 70 years, this is unprecedented. Yeah. At the end of the 70 years on what makes a person happy, they concluded that what brings human beings happiness is relationship. So and sorry, I keep interrupting you. You do. Go ahead. Finish your point, and then I'll. If I was come sixty in. years old, you would respect me, <laughs> and you wouldn't. Well, I was just going to say that, in fact, the, the the findings were so conclusive that the head researcher, when he was summing up the, re he actually said, "Happiness is love." That's how conclusive the research. Nothing even close. There wasn't a close second. Not Cowboys what, football games. Not the Longhorns beating the Sooners. Well, those were the exceptions. Those were the outliers in the study. But yeah, it was it, it was absolutely, now we know. Because, you know, well, what makes us happy? We know. We know. Empirically, we know what makes us happy, and that is relationships. Well, and God, at the very beginning, the only part of his creation that he called not good was what? Being alone. Man alone. Which is why all single people are sinners. <laughs> No, we still no. can have community if we're no, single. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah, he looked at it and was like, nah, we, we need community. We need relationship. Mm -hmm. And not only is it happiness that that brings, but it's a whole host of positive emotions and positive experiences, that relational connection. And, you know, when we look at it, all the things that human beings throughout history, and they talk about that in, again, some humorous ways, of, of trying to find happiness. And, you know, in, in America, in the 20th and 21st century, it was all about money, 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 money. Wall Street. Greed, for lack of a better term, is good. Greed is good. Greed works. Gecko. Gecko, gecko, greco. Michael Douglas. Yeah. And again, I'm, I probably have shared this. I'm sure I have. But, you know, during... What was Michael Douglas's greatest role? Oh, that's a good one. Let's uh... say, uh, say I'm at the same time. Uh, hold it, no, no. Are you ready? Yep. One, the ghost in two. the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, the American president. 
Oh, that was good too. Yeah. That was anyway, good too. But the Ghost in the Darkness was good. The Lion. That was really good. Yeah. During seminary, during grad school in Fort Worth, I worked for a family worth in the 80s 30 to $40 billion. Now, there are numerous families in Fort Worth that have that kind of money. So no one really knows who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I got to work in there the last couple of years that I worked with this security agency. I worked at their residences. Can you tell them the story? Which one? The TV. <laughs> just, just real briefly. Okay, 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 okay. Which is why I was a really bad, but bad security. No Myers man should ever be a security guard. No. Because I would just, yeah. Come on. 30 seconds. So this is when I first started. This is good. This is good. And so downtown properties, Sundance Square, all of that. Area, oh, because the theoretical family, you know, had a part to play in that. And so... um you're patrolling downtown, and I get this call that there's a guy leaving the Burke Burnett building carrying <laughs> a television. So apparently he's stolen a television. The building's near me. And, you know, it was like, Roger, Wilco, 10-4. And, you know, I got my one bullet out of my pocket. Now, that, what you know about Jimbo, just think of him in a security guard outfit. outfit. With his one b- b- bullets. <laughs> that Andy let me carry. Yeah. And Andy's his father. <laughs> No, Andy Griffith. I'm talking about. Uh, well, we also call Barney Five, Granddad, and Dad. Yes, Andy, that's true. But go ahead. So I'm, and so I'm like taking off running. Everyone's responding. I mean, it was like rats on cheese, and and so I got and they said, "Up, oh, he's now he's heading west on whatever." And I said, "Oh man, I'm really getting close." Well, he's now heading east on whatever. I said, "I'm here. This is me." This is, so I literally, I'm in that intersection of whatever that intersection was, and I'm just head on a swivel, and I'm looking. And this guy gets my attention, and he says, he went that way. And I went, thanks. And I take off like a scalded dog. And as I'm running, (laughs) I think to myself, now wait a second. Uh, That was uh, an African-American wearing a white shirt. The the perpetrator happened to be an African-American at that point. Uh, And was told he was wearing a white shirt. And I said, what was what was he? He might have been carrying a television. <laughs> <laughs> he was carrying something very large. In fact, square, I don't know how he pointed. Squarish. <laughs> yeah, and then by the time I get back around, he's in his car and he's gone. The perpetrator so, redirected Jimbo. That was not shared on the incident report. No. Uh, we just glibly he went, went past that away. <laughs> All right. Thanks. thanks. Thank you, fine sir. Let me With shake the television. Your hand. Oh, you can't. You have. You're holding a TV. You can't shake my hand. Any. Okay. Fast anyway, Brothers money. These people had billions, and they were miserable. They were miserable. It was one of the greatest things of being able to see what everyone else alive on the planet is after. They have it, which is billions of dollars, and they were miserable human beings with god-awful relationships. And so when I see, you know, yeah, happiness is is love. Happiness is relationships. It's not everything else we try to use to to become happy. And and again, I think we've mentioned this also, that porn use among adolescents is skyrocketing, where actual sex amongst teenagers is on a decline. You might think that's a good thing. You might think it's a good thing, but it really is an omen of really, really yeah. bad things. Yeah. The documentary goes on to talk about how porn changes the way 
we relate to other people. Again, it's not just, oh, we shouldn't be doing this. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm cheating on my girlfriend, or yes, yeah, certainly I'm cheating on my wife, but no harm, no foul. Last week, we talked about how the, that porn changes the brain. Now we're seeing what are the consequences of how that brain Which changes. Which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, I love it that they tell the story. They, mirror neurons. I don't know how many people have ever heard of mirror neurons, but they explain the concept of mirror neurons in the most entertaining way. And mirror neurons was a discovery, I want, I want to say like in the 90s, it's fairly recently, 80s or 90s, I think they said. They were doing a study on monkeys where they were measuring the brain activity when monkeys did something, when they would reach out and grab something, they were measuring the neural activity when they, these, were, these were action behavioral neurons that fired when they did something. And during a lunch break, monkeys just sitting there not doing anything. Everyone's, you know, having Sonic. One of the researchers across the room picks up and eats a peanut. And one of the neurons fires in the monkey. It was an accidental discovery. But what we're finding is that... Us viewing something yes. to our brain is as if we did it ourselves. Yes, or we're doing it yep. ourselves. There's an, and I don't want to get graphic, but there's a reason, guys, when you look at pornography, you get physically excited. Yep. There's no one in the room. There's not an actual female, and no one's doing anything. But your body is responding yep. as though it were happening to you. And the more, so, and they also found that the more emotional the experience is, the more intense the experience is, then the more we learn it, the more it is uh, solidified in our brain. There's a, there's a saying that, that neurons that fire together, wire together. And so those neurons, by watching pornography repeatedly, They're firing as though that's happening to us, and they're getting wired together, and the brain physically, this is so weird, it physically changes. Watching pornography physically changes, and changes in a destructive way, changes the brain. And so it makes sense. If if I'm viewing pornography a handful of times a week, once or twice a week, and my wife tries to come on to me, it makes sense that if I've already taken care of myself and experienced it with my mind, even though I'm viewing a screen, that I'd be like, meh, I'm good. And I th- we, we bring up the whole idea of the arousal template. Last week, we talked about supernormal, right? That brains go for supernormal. The, the butterflies that the males were trying to mate with the larger cardboard, more colorful females ignoring real, actual females, going for the cardboard. Our brains do the same thing. They're wanting not normal. They're going to seek super normal. And what that tells us is that normal, i.e. your wife, will not then satisfy. We talk about how pornography establishes a young man's arousal template, what it is that they find arousing. And if that is established by supernormal, then the normal in the long run never will satisify. He talks real quickly about, he's, they talk about how porn changes us 
in that it teaches us not to attach to other people. It changes what we love, how we love, how we express love, how we think about those we love. That was what was so amazing in the video. These people, it wasn't just, oh, I'm impacted because I don't want my spouse. It was like, I'm numb when I just walk through life. Not just everything. It, it separates. It, you talk about really, really hard compartmentalization and how they pull back from almost everybody because porn teaches porn is porn addiction sex addiction alcoholism meth i mean picket cocaine their addiction is super selfish it's the most selfish thing in the world because i know what it's going to do to me i know what it's going to do to those that i love but i do it anyway it's it's extraordinary getting my jollies trumps Everything, every body, to include my children, trumps everything. And while very, very true, I know that spouses are also listening to this, and spouses need coaching if their spouse is going through this and is addicted. And so it's not necessarily helpful to hear that it's just this selfish act. Mm -hmm. Because they also need to think about it empathically. And keep in mind, this person's brain has changed. Yep. Like we talked about last week, you know, the prefrontal cortex is the brakes. Yep. That's what humans have. And addiction is the brakes are out. So black and white, it's selfish, but the person's brain is such that it's not a conscious selfishness. Correct. It's no excuse. Correct. Addiction yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't an excuse. Yeah, exactly. But you have to understand if you still if your brakes are still working, then of course you can't understand why someone's brain uh, brakes aren't working. Yep. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Yesterday, talking to a couple, you know, she was wanting him to explain his actions in his sexual addiction. He can explain it, but it's not going to make it rational make sense, sense yeah. because you know addiction is insanity. That's what it is. So, to the just two seconds, yep. the spouse that's dealing with someone struggling with pornography or an addiction, that empathy and that grace, no excuses, mm-hmm. uh, but it's huge. Uh, real quickly, they talk about how porn teaches our brains to exchange intimacy for intensity. And they quote Gottman, uh, you know, John Gottman, who's the guru of marriage therapy, sees pornography as a serious threat to marriage. If you view pornography weekly, everyone just heads up, guys especially, heads up. If you're looking at pornography regularly, you are twice as likely to divorce, twice as likely to divorce. When you're watching, anytime you have an orgasm, you get a dopamine hit, but when you have sex with your wife, you also have oxytocin is released, a bonding chemical. And when the sexual relationship with your wife is is reduced to, in our minds, you know, just a 3D version of what we're looking online, then we the, the oxytocin stops flowing. One of the reasons for the separateness and the isolation. You just said 3D. Do you think there's 3D porn? There's virtual reality porn. Oh, yep, been there. Uh, yeah, and then I love how they sort of end it, that porn destroys our ability to focus on our spouse. Yeah, they equated love with focus. Yeah, that it destroys our ability to focus on our marriage, our kids, our family, and that love is focus. You know, starting at the very beginning, happiness is love, is relationship, mm-hmm. is love, is focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so relationship is focus. Yeah, and so it's it's it removes our focus from... All relationships, but most importantly, our spouse, if we're and married. And puts the focus on us, and as the great Keith Green once said... Who? 
I know. I just saying that for comedic sake. Yes, the comedic factor. Do you remember when I said that about your father? <laughs> the comedic factor. What Keith Green said was, "It's so hard to see when my eyes are on me," and nothing could be truer when you're talking about porn. So make sure you're watching the videos. Porn changes the brain. Porn negatively in lots of big ways impacts your relationships. Next week is World, How Pornography Impacts the World. And just a heads up, it is not a victimless crime. If you want more information about this episode or any oh, previous also, one. BrainMindWorld.org. BrainMindWorld.org. No, it's BrainHeart. BrainHeartWorld.org. Brain 3D Mind World Heart. Org. If you want more information about this episode or any previous one, oh, and listen, but, I mean, give us, I just give us questions. Give us questions. Interact. They, they flooded in this week. Did we the even look? Did we? I, no, we didn't get one. Oh, okay, you looked. Well, no, I just get emails. Oh, not a one. That's changing my. We brain. did get one that invited us to a podcast network. Really? Yeah, I didn't tell you that. Hmm. I told him to go fly a kite. Exactly. We're independent. We're an indie podcast. Paradoxpodcast.com. You can also find us on our socials there. We appreciate you for listening. We would love if you reviewed positively and shared the show with your friends or family or really just anybody with a smartphone. You go grab it, download all the episodes, and we would be eternally grateful. Bye-bye. See ya. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox Evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Paradox.